0: He keeps himself in trim by bending bars of iron. This bar is the genuine article which we tested before he began to play with it. Beyond the, bend, beyond the bend. All right, guys, thanks for supporting the show. I got a list of sponsors here. So first off, we got Harito Bending, -bending harito-bending.com. You're going to use promo code Cheers for 10% off. And a portion of that sale is going to come back to support the show. So I appreciate that. You know, everybody wants to be on the Harito cert list. I haven't heard a bad thing about the quality of his bolts. I can personally say that they're The same every time, some really hard bolts on there. You got certs for every style, including snapping. He's also got wraps and t-shirts on there. So definitely hit up ridobending.com and use the promo code cheers. Next, we've got Jed Johnson's Nail Bending ebook. If you want to check this ebook out, if you're a beginner, message me for the link because if you use this link, a portion of that sale is going to come back to support the show. We also have the Gripedo Trainer. This is an all-in-one grip training tool. If you use promo code the Bend, you're going to save 15% off of a sale of $90 or more. We also have Gil, former guest, BarrelStrengthSystems.com. Use promo code BEYOND for 10% off. Gil's got a ton of cool stuff on there, including the flask. This is a, a pinch device. If you can do a Body weight pull up on this thing, you're gonna get on a roster. I think that's pretty cool. All right. Lastly, we have Hard Life Fightwear. That's HardLifeFightwear.com or .co.uk. If you want some rash guards or something like that for jujitsu, they also got a bunch of other cool t-shirts on there. You're gonna use promo code Beyond the Bend for 15% off. Also, if you want to get on a roster, an unofficial roster hit up at Big on Instagram. If you bent up 80D unbraced or two 60Ds taped together unbraced, you're gonna get on an unofficial roster. The other thing is, if you snapped a horseshoe, I don't need a video. I'm keeping track of people who've snapped horseshoes just because it's a cool thing to do. If you've also snapped one into three pieces, hit me up. Or if you've snapped one laying down, there's only two people on that list, so get on it. Last thing, a couple new things coming up. I'm going to be putting out a feat of the week. This isn't really a challenge more than just like something cool to do week by week. It's going to be just like some athletic stuff mixed with some bending and snapping. So I'm going to be putting that out. And the only way to, to, to participate is just to do it and then tag me in the post and throw it up on Instagram or Facebook. The other thing is every month, I'm gonna be doing a monthly challenge. We've had some really good participation lately. I wanna keep that going. I have some really th- uh, really cool things planned. So I really appreciate everybody's support and uh, looking forward to another good year. All right, thanks. All right, break out the vegan donuts, turn up the misfits, <laughs> grab some kettlebells. We got Scott Scheller in the house. Welcome to the show, Scott.
1: Thanks, man. It's awesome to be on here with you.
0: So a little background about Scott. Scott probably saved my life because when we got locked down here in New York, I had heard him on Grappling Central podcast. And I knew he was a similar kind of guy as far as growing up listening to punk and hardcore. And he was a trainer. So I hit him up for a remote program. He included some plate pinching into that. And that's what sent me down this spiral of uh, (laughs) grip training and, and bending. So... Thanks for that, and uh, yeah, man. welcome, man.
1: Dude, thanks, man. It's really, uh, really awesome to be on here talking with you, and it's crazy to see uh, how far you've come since uh, you know we started uh, working together online back at the beginning of the year too. So,
0: yeah, it's it was definitely the savior, and um, just like anything, and maybe you're the same way. Is like as soon as I discovered like what was grip training, you know, everything prior to you teaching me about plate pinching, I just knew about st- like plastic grippers, you know, <laughs> like, right. so yeah. just being someone that goes backwards with things. And I, I'm sure this is uh, because of like growing up and getting into bands and figuring out what bands they were influenced by. As soon as I figured out the, the world of grip sport, I wanted to know everything there was to know about it. And then that's what led me down the road of steel bending. Has that been the same experience for you when you get into stuff? Yeah,
1: man. And, and it's like, I, I got in, I actually, I dabbled in gripping, you know, and I never dove all in, but I've always been, I always thought that stuff was cool because it's like, you know, it kind of goes back to our, our punk rock kind of roots, you know, uh, when, when uh, just to take it back a little bit in 2009 uh, we had the first ever kettlebell sport competition at the Arnold classic, not the first ever kettlebells, but at the Arnold classic, it was the first. And at the time I was still powerlifting and uh, I was training with uh, Valeri Fedorenko back then was my coach. And uh, we were actually, it was weird because I emceed the competition, but then I also competed in the long cycle division. And uh, so it was kind of a big deal. And I spent two months just getting ready to compete because I'm like, man, I've always wanted to compete at the Arnold. Obviously, like bodybuilding, never going to happen, you know, powerlifting. <laughs> no. So that was my way to compete at the Arnold. And uh, my buddy, Eric, who was the guitarist in, in the band, this metal band that I played in when I was college. He came down to watch the competition and it was really cool because I just remember he, he's a pretty, uh, pretty eccentric guy. And he was like, dude, he goes, kettlebell lifters are like the punk rockers of the strength world. You know, and I'm <laughs> like, man, it's, it's really true. You know, they're, they're like the, they're not the bodybuilders. They're not the, you know, they're not the strength, you know, the power lifters are the strong men. They're these weird little misfits. And, uh, it was really awesome. And it's like, in a way, like the grip community is kind of like that too, because it's more of this it's more of this like underground, you know, tighter circles, more, cl- I mean, yeah, I mean, you could probably speak to it better than I could because, you know, look how much you've gotten into it in such a short period of time. Everybody pretty much knows everybody, you know, I mean, it's, it's a it's really tight knit community. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it just, it kind of reminds me of, you know, kind of that punk rock, you know, that kind of hardcore vibe or whatever. And it's just like, it's, it's its own little faction of the, of the strength world, but, you know, I, I, you know, through the kettlebell community, I met people like Andrew Derniad, I met some, you know, strong, men competitors, uh, Brian Schoenfeld and some other people who, you know, are into the grip, grip stuff, um, the Gillinghams were always, you know, around our booth, you know, the American kettlebell clubs booth at the, uh, at the Arnold. Um, so there was always this crossover between powerlifting and kettlebell sport and uh, grip. So even if you weren't getting into like, Andrew got really hardcore into gripping, like, you know, he competed and all that stuff. But even if you didn't uh, get into the competition on some level, you got into the grip training because we were all reading Iron Mind, you know. We were all reading Milo. Um, we all took a stab at the nails. We, you know, got the gripping devices, the rolling. You know, every, everybody's got a Rolling Thunder. Everybody's got a Hub Lift. Everybody's, you know, everybody got some C.O.C. grippers. So even yep. if you never wanted to get get on the roster or whatever, you ended up training in some capacity. And, you know, with working with you, you know, being jujitsu, I always like to include a little bit of direct grip work for the jujitsu athletes that I work with, just because grip is such a huge part of the, uh, part of the
0: sport. So, yeah, absolutely. So what years was that going on when, uh, you said like everybody was doing a little bit of grippers, a little bit of nails.
1: Uh, Oh, it's, it's always been like that, but like, you know, my exposure to it was more through, uh, through the powerlifting and kettlebell community. For me, I was really getting into that community between like, uh oh four oh five somewhere around there and then you know through about 2010 you know i mean was okay. was this so about those five six years was when you know we really started looking at uh auxiliary you know and we bought john brookfield's uh yes. brookfield's books and things like that and i actually uh i was writing for fight magazine back then um which was a great magazine uh, i was training I the uh yeah it was a good magazine i was training the editor-in-chief at the time donovan and the uh, senior designer, Ryan, she, she and her husband, Brian trained with me at the gym. So as I was writing for fight, he, uh, he was getting really into battling ropes and he's like, yeah. is there any way you do an article? And I said, well, you know, I, I, I know the guy that kind of created this, you know, it's John Britton." And they're like, who, because John <laughs> is the most underrated guy in strength. And cause he's such a humble guy And his system has been ripped off by so many people and nobody gives him credit for developing the battling ropes and the battling chains and all that stuff. So I thought, you know, here's a chance to give credit where credit's due. So I got to interview, I contacted John. I'm like, Hey, would you want to do this article for fight magazine with me? So I got to talk to him for like two hours on the phone and you know, it was just really cool. So it was my exposure through powerlifting and kettlebells that kind of got me into what little grip stuff that I've been exposed to. And again, I didn't take it as far as you have, but you know, I really got into hub lifting for a minute. You know, I, I like to play with the Rolling Thunder, you know, mess around with the COC grippers and stuff. And uh, yeah. I just think there's a lot of value in direct grip, grip training for everybody.
0: Oh, definitely. And uh, so the way I start the show always is, uh, do you remember the first time you saw someone bend a piece of steel, whether it was on TV or in person?
1: You know, I, I, I don't because I'm sure, you know, being a kid growing up in the 80s and stuff, there was probably some weird like wide world of sports thing that was on and <laughs> Bill Kazmaier was probably bending steel over his head. So I'm sure that, you know, I, I've, I've, I'd always known about like the circus strongmen, you know, the, the, the stunt, you know, type people and, and, and the sideshow types. Um, and there's always some sort of steel bending going on there and stuff. But as far as like legitimately uh, being exposed to it, I would say it's, it's when I got turned on to like John Brookfield through like Iron Mind and stuff.
0: So. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, old time strong men, like the, what you just mentioned, like the turn of the century stuff. That's like why I think it, this all this is so interesting. And in, in my mind, it really fits together, even though maybe to someone from the outside looking in being like, oh, the guy was into jujitsu and now he's into bending nails. Like, that's pretty bizarre. But the fact that all those old time strong men were doing feats of strength, they were grappling. They were yep. like into lifting. They, they were just like into the physical culture and they were doing all these things. Like, yes, so it's all part of it. If you know enough to realize that, you know, if you take it back
1: that far, and unfortunately um, that's one of the things that I'm probably most, uh, I don't want to say, I mean, everything evolves, you know, and, and, and the deeper things get, the more specialized things get. Yep. But the thing that I hate is we lose we lose a sense of the history um of physical culture and what it really was and i think like unless you're a competitor you know unless you're trying to compete at the highest professional levels in like weightlifting or powerlifting or whatever i think like the approach that was the real physical culture movement you know from that turn of the century is probably one of the healthiest endeavors that anybody can be involved in because it stems so far outside of just the physical. You know, if you read those, if you can get your hands on any of those books and those old manuals and stuff like that, these guys were incredibly literate. They were intelligent men. Um, They're very thoughtful men. You know, it wasn't just, Hey bro, add 50 pounds to your bench with this, you know, program. It's, it really like encompassed uh, the development of, of the entire human, you know, the entire, biological organism and it wasn't just so specialized, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and the things that we've sacrificed for the thousand pound benches and the 1200 pound squats and the 1100 pound deadlifts. I mean, that stuff is awesome, but the stuff that we sacrifice to get there, I believe gets us further away from what the founding fathers of physical culture intended, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Actually, I like, I like that. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that makes total sense, you know, too, it's just, like, being well-rounded as an individual, like, that's ultimately, especially as we get older, you know, like, it's, like, I can't tell you how many of, like, elite trainers that I've spoke to now, like, are just talking up walking, you know what I mean, they're just, like, yeah, make sure you're getting out and taking your walks, like, David Horn is always talking about walking, like, it's just, like, It's so like interesting that these like things that might even be taken for granted are like could be paramount in just like being overall healthy in a physical way, you know? Yeah, it's important stuff, man. So take me back to uh, your beginning. Like, uh, did you grow up playing sports and Uh, how did everything evolve from there?
1: You know, I I grew up in like kind of small town, Ohio, a small town called Austinburg, uh, Geneva on the Lake. Uh, it's about 30 minutes West of Erie PA, right on I-90, right on Lake Erie, about 40 minutes East of Cleveland or so. Um, so there really wasn't a lot going on, you know, I mean, I did the typical, uh, when I was a kid, my parents exposed me to a bunch of different sports, you know, little league basketball, uh, flag football, little league football, uh, baseball, you know, T-ball and then baseball. And I actually excelled at baseball. Um, I was a really good pitcher. Um, but you know, we're talking like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, but at the time i I was throwing really well i had good accuracy i had good speed and stuff like that but again we didn't have strength coaches we didn't have trainers my dad was a cop man he wasn't you know he wasn't a workout dude you know so i didn't have a weight set growing up and stuff like that you know anytime i wanted to try to lift it was grab a milk jug and try to do some curls (laughs) or something stupid or push-ups or whatever so there was this you know just keep throwing hard you know well that screwed up a bunch of ligaments in my elbow and suddenly for some reason i got all this elbow pain i can't throw you know my mom's a nurse oh let's take you to the clinic let's get you some drugs you know and it was and Uh, and it's not their fault they just don't know you know so now you're cashed in and suddenly baseball's not fun anymore and i was always into um i always like martial arts um so the minute i could start doing taekwondo which was about the most legit you know martial arts school in my area uh, yep. Actually had a really good uh, instructor who was a pretty high level compa- a point fighter, but a, he was a student of Billy Blanks, oh. um, and they they traveled the world competing. This is long before Taibo, and Billy was actually a hardcore uh, Taekwondo practitioner. Yeah. And when our sensei uh, Jim Hardy, he he would tell us about the training sessions in Billy's basement in Erie, PA. <laughs> Dude, you're talking two, three, four hours. Guys are showing up in combat boots to spar because, you know, it was like, you know, spar with what you came in. Yeah, They sparred full contact, man. You know, I mean, my, my instructor, when he he told us during his black belt test, he had to hold a horse stance for like 20 minutes with Billy standing on his thighs. Billy's a big dude. He's like 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, you know, he's pretty <laughs> muscular. So, I mean, it was it wasn't like the, the kind of the McDojos nowadays where it's like, Hey, yeah. we're going to get you. Like my, my instructor didn't believe in a junior black belt, yeah. you know? So, and, and he, it was a very competition heavy school. So I, I am thankful that those couple of years I spent studying Taekwondo, I mean, we did an hour of physical conditioning and then we did an hour of uh, martial arts training and it was nice. like legit hardcore old school Taekwondo. And it was a lot of fun, you know? So I always gravitated to those, solo endeavors you know so yeah. I got into skateboarding yeah. and BMX yeah. all that stuff appealed to me wanted to surf so bad but it's like come on man yeah. you know I'm in Ohio yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> um, actually got into bodyboarding which you you, know, you could surf on Lake Erie but you had to be willing to go out when it was freaking cold when a bad storm was coming through and throw on yeah. a wetsuit and you know <laughs> so I mean it was uh, anything that I could do to stay on that kind of punk rock fringe and I got really into uh, really into uh, vert, vert BMX um got into did some freestyle competitions and stuff really loved that uh liked skateboarding way more than I was good and gifted at it um and you know got into snowboarding and and bodyboarding and those were like my main things you know throughout high school I was the dork in band you know I was a drummer loved music um I was the skinny the the skinny band dork you know I mean that, that was me through high school until I joined the navy and got the hell out of dodge and uh you That's know, true. didn't really get into lifting until, uh, probably my junior year because I was sick of being the skinny kid laughed okay. at, you know, my, uh, I have to credit my girlfriend at the time, Stephanie, who, uh, she, uh, I remember at the end of 10th grade, we were standing in the lunchroom, and she was, uh, talking to her friend, Erica, who was a few years older and they were both cheerleaders and they were kind of covering their mouth, whispering to each other. And they started laughing and pointing at my legs, you know, and I was like, what the hell, you know? Uh-huh. So as we were walking from lunch to our next class, I said, Well, what's so funny. She goes, Well, Erica pointed out how when you stand with your legs together, your thighs don't touch. You know, you're really <laughs> skinny. And I was like, I was like mortified. Oh, I went man. home, I grabbed my I grabbed my Spider-Man comics. I ordered the I ordered the weeder training kits out of the back. And and that's really what started it all, man. I started doing these at home workouts. And then the minute, the minute I could convince my mom to buy me a membership over at the Y, started going there that's and it. lifting unguided, sometimes the older guys would have a little bit of mercy on me and they'd give me some tips, but yeah. that's what started it all, man. And it was very, you know, it was that, that late eighties, early nineties bodybuilding thing. You know, the yep. Mr. Olympia was on ESPN. You're buying all the bodybuilding magazines. You still believe that, that, you know, the flex article about how you do 40 sets of 20 reps in the squad <laughs> is how Dorian Yates build his legs and all, which we know is completely false, you know, But uh, that's what started it all, man. It was just that that kind of love for uh, the bodybuilding community, which I kind of got into that because it was a very uh, kind of a misfit, almost punk rock thing back then, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, like uh, I think I definitely relate with the solo endeavor stuff. I almost like I can remember like playing soccer right like in high school or something it, it was ninth grade because i've said before on the show ninth grade was the hard cut off that was like too many shows to go to too much skateboarding to happen like these sports and this practicing every night this isn't gonna fly with like what i've got going on so i do regret it now but, uh you know that's that's when everything got pushed to the side to go skate and go to shows but yeah. um uh, so I remember like having a game where we won, and I don't even know if I like touched the ball. You know, I was like, "Damn, I don't feel any glory in this." You know, yeah, and it was just like contribute. You know, and then like when later when I got into jujitsu or specifically like bending and lifting stuff, it's like that the glory is all yours and the pain of losing is all yours too, man. Like the you know, it's like, and I love that about it. Like, but it's also hard, <laughs> you know. Like it's. Yeah. But that's like I was saying to my son the other day because he he hasn't competed yet in jiu-jitsu. Um, he actually just competed in David Horn's uh, steel shredder, uh, which is oh, cool. really cool. So did some nail snapping and uh, stuff like that. But he's just – and I'm trying to, like, explain to him that, you know, yeah, you might win and it'll be great, but you might lose too. And the fact – the chance of losing is just the cost. Like, you know, everything yeah. has a cost. And it's like – but – it'll be all right if you lose and then there'll be a time when you win it'll be great you know it's just like I like I think some people are turned away by bearing all of that on your shoulders you know but for me I was just always like even something like tennis right like or any other sport where it's just one person out there I was like oh I can get into that I understand that you know it's awesome yeah it's like I think it's a special kind of person I think that as as we talk it's just all this stuff kind of like gets threaded together it's, it's just like a certain mindset you have to just like want to do it yourself and like just when the first time you see a grip implement or a piece of steel or or some weights right you just you see someone lift it you go i wonder if i can do that you know <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it's uh I, I don't know if you've gotten uh into uh like stone lifting yet and really started like researching you know it, it that really kind of parallels the grip community you know and uh, especially through like things like iron mine and stuff like that and th- there was a guy who i am I'm, I'm very fortunate to have met you know Ethan Reeve who is the he i think he still is the head strength coach over at Wake Forest he used to put on these and he may still do these i don't know I, i've lost touch with the community but back in like 05 he started doing these strength coaches clinics and I mean, it was like 50 bucks, you know, and in the first year he did it, I mean, check out this lineup. It was Pavel Tatulin with a couple of his top instructors at the uh-huh. time. It was Louis Simmons. Uh, it was Gail Hatch, you know, the weightlifting coach. It was Bud Charnega from, you know, the Sportivny Press. He, he He's the one that translated all those Russian manuals that you hear okay. Louis talking about and stuff like that. Uh, uh-huh. It was Ethan himself. I mean, it's like a who's who of the best in powerlifting, kettlebell lifting, you know, and then one of the one of the later years uh i think it was the year that john brookfield uh debuted the battling rope system uh, i think that would have been oh seven oh six or oh seven um a guy by the name of steve Jeck was there and steve was one of the most powerful presentations i've ever seen and he was a uh, he was a thrower at app state um and then he ended up he was living in in North Carolina you know not far from his colleagues with John if you read John's books you'll see pictures of Steve and they're doing okay. some of the, the grip stuff Steve's just this big burly guy with a beard you know looks like a lumberjack um yeah. he uh he wrote a column for Iron Mind he he had a regular article in uh, Milo magazine um and stone lifting became his thing and as a thrower when he went to compete in the Highland Games in Scotland he learned of this custom of clock queen fear which is the manhood stones and that caused him to meet this guy named Peter Martin, who was a historian of the stones in Scotland. And Steve wrote these amazing books and put out these videos, and through Milo and, and IronMind, really educated people. And he was uh, he was an incredibly well written, well spoken guy, and he was this massive like two hundred and eighty pound beast. Uh, but you know, stone lifting, like the the metaphors that he would draw with it and stuff like that, like that kind of stuff, like you said about the grips, like the stones, it just like. You either lift it or you don't, you know, and and like a lot of these stones, if you travel to lift like to Iceland or to Scotland to lift these stones, there's no fanfare, dude, maybe with the (laughs) Denny stones because they have a big festival and they're in a really like a a pretty uh, easy to get to place. But like, if you go to lift the, the pen slab, the, the Fia Helen stone in, yeah. in, uh, in Iceland, you're going out to this goat pen in the middle of nowhere, you know, <laughs> there's nobody there to slap you on the back and stuff. It's like, yeah. like Steve used to say, the, the, the only adulation you'll get is from the, the, the squirrels and the millipedes, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I, I like that because there's this, uh, it's this, uh, this intrinsic pursuit you know, you don't have to do it for anybody else. You know, it's, it's something, you know, for you. And it's like, either you lift it or you don't, nobody's going to sit there and say, well, he didn't break depth on that squad or the judge, the judge should have given a red light or they argue, they debate on it. There's no competition. There's no points. You either do it or you don't, you know, and when you do it, you're truly wrapping your arms and your hands around a piece of history. And it was just, it's, it's really cool. And that's the kind of stuff in the community that I just, I love that kind of stuff, man. I love that kind
0: of stuff it was coming up on a recent episode that I feel like most of this stuff was probably just out of like, I don't know if necessity is the right word, but like, yeah. you know, maybe obviously the first stones that were lifted were just like two farmers. Like, Hey, you think you can lift that? Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, right. and like maybe, maybe the first person that bend a bar of steel was like working on something, you know, and they're like, Hey, you think you could do that again? And it's just like, something so natural about that like uh, I think that people yeah. can relate to and respect you know
1: well that was the test you know in 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 the the, the uh, Scottish like the, the Highlands the clans and stuff like that you know a, a boy became a man you know his 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 test for manhood was when he could pick his stone his clan stone up and set it on the wall or right. if it was a pudding stone you know when he could throw it a certain distance you know these were the tests that that you know they defined your manhood. You know they they were your test you know, as a boy became a man, and that's that's where you see in strongman competition the Atlas stones, where they pick up the stone and they set it on the wall. You know that's that's that came from that that era. You know, and in, in Scotland, so it's it's really cool. It's there, there's this whole this whole history behind it that that gets overlooked. You know, for these younger kids and these younger people that are just getting into the to the sport and the disciplines and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I definitely. Researched a little bit. It's certainly something that I I foresee myself getting heavier into as time goes on. You'll like it. And, and definitely uh,
1: try to try to dig up anything you can on Steve Jack. He he okay. unfortunately passed away <clears throat> in the last couple of years of you know young guy fifty. He was in his fifties. Uh, got really aggressive pancreatic cancer, and it was a a real loss because his contributions to the to the community so underrated. You know, wow. it can't be overstated how important of a guy he was, and just didn't get enough. You know we know a lot of people like that, whether it's the martial arts or whether it's the strength community or whatever. There's just, there's some people out there that just don't get the notoriety because they don't go out seeking it, but yeah, they really deserve point. it. He's
0: one of those guys whose legacy really needs to be remembered. Cool. I'm going to look that up for sure. So you kind of touched on it and it, it's, it comes up every show. It's a staple of the show, but it's just, so we're talking about stone lifting and it's a, you kind of mentioned about depth and form and so something paramount to bending and grip and everything is just the idea of seeking functional strength right and like it has mm-hmm. all all so many names of old man strength yeah. like uh you know <laughs> uh farm Shornful strength, strength yeah. yeah but so i'd like to hear that from you from your perspective as a trainer like what are we talking about when we talk because it's like i don't think it's linear in the sense of like just picking up the weight right with perfect yeah. form it's it's something outside the lines of like perfect form where it's like if your kid's falling all over and you yeah. snatch them up one-handed like yeah um, so break that down for me I, I just like hearing everybody's different takes on that
1: yeah i mean i think there's a there's technique as it relates to your traditional, uh, your, your, your standard barbell lifts, the classical lifts and things like that. Obviously we would never suggest somebody squat, you know, with, with a rounded back or, right. or a bad knee position or something like that. You know, there's definitely technical, uh, aspects of the lifts that we maintain for safety and for optimal strength. Um, but I, I you know, I, I, do think like if you, if you take a sport like jujitsu or, or wrestling or, or grappling sports, there's also this idea of, uh, imperfection, um, that, you know, we're, we're often in contraindicated positions. Um, you know, when somebody's cranking on your neck and they have your arm extended over your head and they're trying to do an arm triangle or something, your shoulders in a really weak compromised position, and you might be trying to fight out of that position to recover. Um, you know, you're not in these optimal positions, uh, your spine's twisted and bent weird, um, which we would never encourage with lifting and things like that, you know? So, I don't know, you know, with regard to training, if there's ever, um, if there's ever a case where you want to purposely put yourself into an imperfect position or bad technique. But I would say that training end range as a motion, training full range as a motion, complete and you know full uh, lockouts and things like that is essential, um, just because you know you've got to press and pull from really weird positions in a sport like grappling. So you you know if you're going to do a shoulder press you're not bringing that bar down to your nose and just putting it over your head. You know, you're going to bring that all the way down to your collarbone. You're going to lock it out all the way overhead. You want to work the shoulders, the elbows through a full range of motion, because those are the positions that you're going to be in, you know, in, in, in grappling and things like that. So I think, um, from, uh, a safety, you know, standpoint, we want to main, maintain, uh, optimal technique when we're doing the lifts and never sacrifice that technique. Um, the only exception that I would make is like in powerlifting competition, you know, when you're pulling a max deadlift, nobody's got a perfectly arched back, the backs round, you know, yeah. it, you know, squats, you know, you might get out of the groove or something like that, but you're going to fight to try to make that lift, you know, but when it comes to training, when it comes to the development of strength, I think we need to adhere, um, to proper technique, uh, you uh-huh. know, when we're executing the list just, just for safety and optimal strength and structure. So
0: how about in the develop so if someone's seeking uh what we're calling functional strength farm strength what so what are some things that they should be incorporating in because obviously you and i both know like the guy that looks like he's just benched his whole life or, or whatever isn't necessarily the strongest guy on the mat no, you know? no no
1: I, I worry about the guys with big hamstrings, big butts, big backs, you know, big <laughs> yeah. forearms. Yeah. Those are the scary guys. You know, a guy with a big chest just means maybe he can he can bump you out of side control easy or something like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean I think the bench press does get a bad rap, uh, because it's the, the most non-functional of the lifts or whatever, but it, it, the fact that it matters the bench press is a great upper body strength and mass developer, you know, and I, I think, you know, the core four lifts, the squat, the overhead press, the bench, the deadlift are four of the best lifts that should be the foundation of any strength program. Um, I think, you know, when you're talking about usable strength though, we got to get into things like loaded carries, you know, we got to get into to torso strength, um, the way that we're going to use it, you know, um, grip, you know, is so important. Um, having that, that's why I think everybody should do, you know, I, just the nature of jujitsu, we have pretty strong grip as it is, especially if you do, well, I don't know, you know, people say gi because you're using the gi, but I, I almost think like, you know, no gi is really more challenging on grip, you know, cause you don't have the aid of grabbing material, um, I agree. so, so grapplers usually have some pretty strong grips to begin with just from the nature of, of their sport and their training. But I do think that some direct, uh, we, we should spend a little bit of our time, you know, even without getting, if, if you want to get, you know, dive all in, like you have great, but even if you don't become a, a total grip enthusiast, a couple of days a week at the end of a session, there's nothing wrong with taking five, 10 minutes and doing some, some direct grip work. You know, I think it, it mm-hmm. enhances hand health and, and uh, strength, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so don't neglect like the loaded carries, the sled drags, the sled pushes, um, farmer carries. You know that that's real. You know when you talk about farm boy strength, look at look at what they're doing. Look at the type of labor they're doing all day. You know the chopping motions with a, a pitchfork or a shovel or swinging a swinging an axe or something like that. You know that's you want to talk about torso development. That's real functional torso development.
0: Definitely. You know, what's something that's interesting too that fits into what we're talking about is my friend uh, Josh Goldthorpe uh, at Chuck and Canuck on Instagram who's been just on a tear this year. Uh, bend, like people pretty much say they've never seen anybody bending what he's bent in as short of a time. And he's a pro thrower for the Highland games and stuff. And he made this great point when he was on saying that bending we're not using the, the belly of the muscle, right? Like meaning like center mass. And I don't know enough anatomy to know if this is true, but the, the, in my mind, it makes sense. And so he's saying like, we're basically going to the point where muscles are maxed and then somehow pushing through. Right. And then this reminds me of uh, jujitsu in the sense it clicked that night when he said it was like, jujitsu uses a lot of that what I'm going to call tendon strength. I don't know if that's accurate, yeah. but like say you're, you're fully extended on arm bar, but you're not ready to tap and you're going to just tent, tense that up just a little bit so you can hitchhike out of there or, 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 yeah. or get your grip back and fight. So what's good for that type? Well, one, what do you call that type of strength? And two, how do we develop it? Because that's certainly, I mean, bending is all that. That's getting yeah. to the point where you've already maxed yourself out. And then somehow pushing past that
1: limit. Think how bad your joints feel, you know, when you do stuff like that, like you feel it in your elbows, you feel it in the shoulder and you're not, you don't feel it in the muscle. It's not like you did a set of 10 in the bench press and you got a pump, you know, you get this deep ache in the joints, you know, like in the shoulders and the elbows. And you often have, uh, at least, you know, from my experience in jujitsu, a lot of the pain that you have, it's in the joints like that, you know, because you're using that same sort of, uh, tension, Um, so it, it, there's a couple factors that you have to address. One is training those end ranges of motion. You know, you've got to work full extensions on your presses. You know, you've got to work full and complete lockouts. You have to do that because of the angles. Like you said, when you're, when you're in an arm bar and your arms totally extended and you've got that, that second where you can get out of it and you might have to tense up. So you're completely flexing all that, that tissue in a complete extension in a weak position you know we're strong when we're in close you know out here we're not strong so we're flexing we're putting the muscles under a tremendous amount of force so one of the things that we need to do is we need to train the body in extension so i think some of the most overlooked forms of training are things like isometrics um and isometrics are that they, they you can create massive amounts of force um they translate well to, to bending, I would think, because you're not just unless you're doing something really light, you're not just bending it. You know, I mean, you're right. creating a lot of tension before it starts to give. So bending is a quasi isometric um, so training isometrics, I think is very important. It's talked about, you know, a lot back in the, you know, the old time trainers and stuff like that, Bob Hoffman, that's why he built the power racks with the pins so that you could you could pull the bar into pins and press the bar into pins right. so that you could do those isometrics. And if you know anything about isometrics, isometrics, uh, the, the strength gain radiates, um, 10 to 15 degrees on either side of the position that you're training. Okay. okay. So if you're doing isometrics, Like say for the deadlift, you know, you want to make sure you're using four or five, maybe six different positions so that you're covering the complete range of motion because you're only building strength 10 to 15 degrees on either side of that, that sticking point that you're working. But isometrics are a tremendous way to build, to build strength, you know, and, in those, uh, in those same types of capacities, because, you know, when somebody has got your arm locked and you're flexing that, that bicep and you're trying to keep them from breaking the elbow, you're doing an isometric curl. You know, there's no tissue glide there, they're holding your arm. So you're contracting your bicep isometrically. So it's putting a tremendous amount of strain on the bicep tendon uh, over the elbow. Plus you got the torque on the elbow joint from the guy that's trying to break it. So Uh our joints are definitely at risk for injury. Um, And that's probably one of the most common uh, non-catastrophic injuries are are these minor joint, you know, twinges that might keep us out of training for a day or two or, you know, whatever. So I think joint integrity is really, really important. Um, in addition to isometrics, um, really, really heavy, uh, lockouts and supports are great for building joint strength and integrity. And then the other thing is really, really high repetition exercises that, that, um, don't focus on the eccentric phase of the lift are fantastic for building joint, uh, joint health and and joint integrity. So for instance, like something for your elbows that you can do. Um, and I, I have a lot of guys I work with do this. And, uh, I, I gotta say all, all credit to Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell for turning me onto this because he's a big proponent of this type of training, but he said that the stuff that he uncovered through, um, some of his research, In some of the Russian manuals and things like that. I think Comey's book actually was one that talked about the really high reps, but uh, really, really high uh, repetition isolation exercises for the joints. So for instance, if you want to, uh, if you want to get some work on the elbow, you know, and really uh, shore up that tricep tendon, which, you know, we get bursitis all the time in the elbows. We always have a lot of pain, you know, from framing and, you know, pushing people off of us and stuff like that. One of the things that you can do to uh, really increase the resilience of the elbow is you take a uh, take a band, you know, like a jump stretch band or, or whatever, and you throw it over the top of a power rack or choking on a uh, pull up bar, and you do uh, you do high repetition. Uh, push downs. Um, But you're not you're not trying to get a pump in the muscle. What you're trying to do is so you don't want to use a slow eccentric, you know, we want to focus on the joint. So the really high repetitions are going to pump a lot of circulation and a lot of fluid into the into the muscle and eventually the connective tissues. Now, if you know, connective tissues like tendons and ligaments have a very poor blood supply. That's like you, 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 you get a partial tear in your bicep. It heals very quickly, you know, three to five days, maybe seven days, you know, some ice and, you know, rest or whatever. And it's, you know, some light movement and it's good to go because you get a lot of blood flow into the muscular tissue. The tendons take a little bit longer to heal because they don't have as good of a blood flow as the muscle ligaments are even worse. They have poor blood flow. So in order to get a lot of blood flow to those tissues, we use really high reps to pump that circulation into those connective tissues. If I just do a set of five extensions, I'm going to affect my tricep muscle. But if I really want to get down into those tendons and in the, in the, the, the integrity of that joint through the connective tissues, if I do really high repetitions on the pushdown in a fairly quick clip, and I think the recommendation is like a minimum of 30 to 50 reps per set, um, but we do two, three, sometimes 400 repetitions in a workout, but that increased blood flow thickens up the the tendons and the connective tissue and makes the joint really strong and resilient you know put put it to you like this um it's very common in bodybuilding you hear about these guys tearing their pec off or tearing their bicep off or tearing their quad off and the most common thing is well they're using anabolics the muscle gets so much bigger and stronger the tendon hasn't caught up right okay Uh well if we take that logic then the guys at west side barbell should be tearing pecs and triceps and quads off left and right because they're benching eight, 900,000 pounds. They're squatting a 1, 1100 pounds. They're deadlifting eight, 900 pounds. They don't have those injuries like you see with bodybuilders and they're handling way heavier weights. What's the difference? You know, they're, they're on as much gear, you know, they're open uh, about their drug use. So yeah. it's not the anabolics. It's the fact that Louie makes sure that they do that joint integrity work to strengthen up the tendons and the ligaments and stuff like that, you know, cause these guys should be, you know, they, they get tears and stuff. I mean, I'm not saying, you know I mean? It, you, you put the body under that sort of stress, but yeah. it seems like you're always hearing about bodybuilders tearing pecs and they're doing it with like 225. They're not doing it with six, 700 pounds. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there's something to be said about that, you know, that, that spending some time doing specific work for the, the tendons and the connective tissues is really important. And the different ways to do that, I think, are isometrics, really heavy supports and heavy loading, and then the really light uh, exercises, the single joint exercises, done for very high reps with uh, uh, de-emphasize the eccentric. You know, we're not trying to we're not trying to get a burn in the muscle. We're trying to yeah. pump fluid into the joints, and that can be done with like you know uh, leg curls, bicep curls, tricep push downs, you know, shoulder rotation exercises, you know, any, any sort of single joint exercise that you can do in a fairly quick clip. That's going to help increase, you know, uh, banded good mornings are one of my favorites for the lower back in okay. addition to reverse hyper extensions and things like that. Yeah. But there's a yeah, there, there's so many great things that you can do to increase. How about
0: integrity. Uh, particular for the shoulders because if someone's doing a lot of double overhand bending where they're in this position and they're, if they're doing a lot, maybe seven inch bar, or whatever, they're really opening up their shoulders and then coming down hard onto it. Uh, what, what kind of, uh, joint I think, integrity? Uh, light,
1: light, uh, light pressing with, uh, bands with dumbbells, um, you know, reverse band presses, things that de-emphasize the muscular stress that that can pump a lot of fluid into those connective tissues are good for the high rep exercises. And then the other thing are your isometrics, you know, work, you know, work those contractions in the various positions that you're going to be using when you're doing those bends. So, you know, make it very specific to the movement itself. Look at the position that the shoulder's in, and then the range of motion that it's going to go through for the bend, work isometrics at all those positions you know what I'm saying? And contract the muscle and hold it, you know, against, you know, something immovable where you can create maximal force. And the other thing about isometrics is because there's no tissue glide, you you don't get sore from it. You know, that's why they use isometrics a lot in the rehabilitative settings, uh, because you're just, you know, you're, you're firing a muscle, but there's no, there's no tissue glide. Like there's like, if I do a bicep curl, my bicep flexes and it extends. But if I take a bar and I curl it into a power rack, I'm only contracting for that, that position that the elbows in. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. So you absolutely. just don't get sore
1: from it. So it's, it's another great thing to do, uh, particularly if you're in like a, you're, you're rolling into a competition or you're trying to minimize stress and, you know, things like that. You can, it's, it's a, it's a form of training where you can get a lot of benefits without a lot of the negatives, you know, of, of heavier loading. So,
0: yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, the is, isometrics come up almost every show. Uh, it's totally blew my mind. Like the, uh, people have turned me on to bud Jeffries stuff about isometrics and i think we talked uh, about steve eusta or i think i can't yeah. remember how you pronounce his name but totally wild stuff i mean obviously uh, there's a lot of stuff to it and it's uh, underutilized i mean most people aren't training that stuff so that's really cool how it's about, not cool,
1: man. You, you can't post an awesome video on, uh, yeah, right. on Instagram of a massive deadlift or something like that. You know, exactly. nobody wants to see you pull a bar into some pins and grunt for
0: five seconds. So yep. <laughs> that would be funny though. Yeah, right? Start an isometric uh, Instagram.
1: <laughs> I, I already have so few people following me. I'll lose everybody <laughs> if I do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so another struggle that a lot of guys have is especially say guys that are coming over from jujitsu, like myself, uh, I, from playing butterfly guard, seated butterfly guard, you know, uh, for most of my jujitsu career, once I started getting decent, I have this posture, even though I'm not like a guy working at a desk, uh, I have a posture of someone who who has that. So when I uh, discovered double overhand bending, it was really hard for me to get a seven inch bar into position because I couldn't open up my back like that and my chest like that. So, and that's something I hear, especially guys around my height or shorter. So I'm five, seven and anybody shorter, they they actually find that six inch bars are easier because it's just less that we're having to open up for that. So some people told me like, face pulls with bands. I'd I'd just like to know what, uh, what kind of stuff you would recommend for
1: upper, upper back exercises like that. You know, the face pulls and stuff like that are great. Any sort of scapular retraction exercise, um, any sort of external rotation is good. You know, building the external rotators are often neglected. You've got two positions, elbow out to the side and elbow about 45 degree from the body are both, uh, they emphasize the, the two different external rotators. Um, excuse me. Uh, You also have to, uh, you got to get some flexibility work in there Um, because one of the things that jujitsu does is promotes a lot of muscular imbalance because, you know, our optimal position is to be curled up. You know, we, you know, we don't want to be extended and flat on our back. You know, we want elbows in tight. We want the shoulders hunched over. We want the upper back rounded over. We want those knees up, you know, whether you're playing butterfly guard or, you know, as I've found, you know, playing closed guard is really rough on the, uh, the adductors. You know, I, I've been dealing with some uh, bilateral medial knee pain from, Playing close guarding correctly, you know, and not just controlling people, but trying to squeeze them, you know. The thighs get, <laughs> yeah. the, the adductors are fried, you know. So I've had some medial knee pain. I've been dealing with uh, the groin gets tight, you know. The lower abdominals are tight. So doing things like cobra stretches, kneeling hip flexor stretches, uh, straddle, you know, splits, and those sort of stretches are really important. Um, so stretching the pecs, you know, stretching the internal rotators. Um, I just like. You know, the ability to hold a straight bar in the squat is almost gone for me. I I can't even do that. You know, I'm not even a super heavyweight and my hands are out on the collars on a straight bar. So the only way I can get my hands on a bar is to use my Buffalo bar. You know, Uh that's got that. It's got that wider. It's a wider bar with a a camber on it. Um, And I see that a lot with jujitsu people. You know, the shoulders do take a beating. And I just I have, you know, my job when I'm working with somebody isn't to turn them into a power lifter. It's how can I get them to squat that's not going to negatively impact their jujitsu, you know, and I come under fire. I get, you know, people talk smack all the time about, Oh, he's doing sumo deadlifts or they're doing, you know, block pulls or they're doing, you know, box squats or they're, you know, he's not using a straight bar. He's using the belt squat or something. It's like, I got to find, you know, it doesn't matter if my powerlifters lifters are, or, or my, my jujitsu guys are squatting to depth. All I got to do is get their legs really strong. And if that means I'm putting them on the belt squat, then they're getting on the belt squat. You know, we got to look at training economy. You know, they've only got, you know, two to four hours in the gym of non-specific training, you know? I mean, I can't train them like I would train a I would train a weightlifter or a powerlifter sure. or something like that. Yeah. So I've got to find a way to to get them strong in a short period of time, you know? So I got to do what works best for their body while trying to work through the greatest possible range of motion without exacerbating injuries and things like that. Yeah. So everybody I work with isn't always in an ideal situation, you know? So we will address those things, but I couldn't care less if they're squatting with a safety bar and a belt squat, a Buffalo bar or a straight bar. If they, if they can't hold a straight bar, screw it. We're not going to do a straight bar. You know, that's yeah. why I have a safety bar. So I got a Buffalo bar. So I got a camber bar. So I got a belt squat, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: it, it, you know, I, I think there comes this uh, there's this kind of purist attitude that all you need is bench squat, deadlift and overhead press, you know, well, yeah. okay, we might we might need to work in a little gray area there. Maybe it's gotta be with a parallel grip bar, or maybe it's gotta be with kettlebells, or maybe you know, yeah. I mean, we gotta find a way to work with somebody's personal physical constitution as well, you know, and try to get those joints as healthy as possible. Cause ultimately when it comes to strength training, we're just trying not to screw anybody up, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. So how about uh, you're dealing with jujitsu guys that are going hard a lot of days a week right and we're also talking to the bending community here which maybe two to three times a week they're pushing themselves past their limits to try to bend some new bar let's talk about recovery what like what do we what should we be doing what do you recommend how do we keep from burning out because we said before we started the show i keep making the same mistakes where i'll just like go hard, go hard. And just like, let my mental toughness, like make my body pay for it. Right. And then, and then I'm sad and depressed and grumpy to my wife because I can't even do the thing that's making me happy because I pushed it too hard. You know,
1: it's, Um, it's so recovery and restoration is so, it's so talked about nowadays, but it's the most underutilized strategy of physical development. And I'm kind of suffering from it right now too, you know, cause I'm in the gym all day, you know, I, I, I do jujitsu in the mornings twice a week, at night once a week, you know, get some open mats and stuff like that. Just even like last Tuesday, Chris had got done lifting with uh, Jim, another guy we trained with. And Chris is like, and I just gotten done eating. Chris is like, come on, Scott, let's roll. And I'm like, and hey, I'm never going to say no to my teacher or yeah. say no to a roll, you know, because sure. that's not cool, you know. So it's <laughs> like we rolled and I almost threw up, you know, oh, and and yeah. my, my throat's killing me because he got a nasty choke on me and stuff like that. <laughs> but it's like we we don't like. It's cool to talk about giving yourself time to rest and time to recover. And it's so cool to say, okay, just go in and drill and don't roll. (laughs) How does that work out?
0: Yeah. Well, let me know.
1: Let me know when you go to your academy and you drill for 20 minutes and you're like, all right, man, I'm going to sit out the rolling. You're not going to do that. You know, they're never going to let you hear the end of it. One, you know, two. And then you're going to be like, okay, well, I'm just going to flow today. We're going to take it easy. And then it turns into a brawl, you know? And that's the problem is, unless we have the, unless we have the personal wherewithal to really control and, and dictate what we do in the roles. And that comes down to us, you know, and my problem is I train too hard. Uh, I don't back off, you know, I never miss my lifts. And now, you know, like this last week, I mean, I started feeling kind of under the weather on Saturday, you know, I mean a couple bad chokes, my throat's killing me, <laughs> um, you know, some late nights, not good sleep, kind of run down, You know, so now for the last couple of days, I feel like my body's been kind of fighting something. And it's like, look, man, if you don't take some time off, your body's going to make you take some time off. And I'm as guilty of that as everybody. So I think some of the things that you, like I felt guilty about missing jujitsu this morning, but it's like, if I go, it's going to be stupid. You know, I'm just yeah. going to run myself into the ground,
0: yeah. you know?
1: So, I mean, going into the holidays, I think I may just kind of take this week off, yeah. um, you know, cut back on the lifting a little bit, get some extra sleep, stretch, you know, get some good food this week and stuff like that. And uh, those are the things that you really need to focus on all the things that you can do to enhance recovery sleep. Are you getting enough optimal consistent sleep? Uh, are you getting enough hydration? Are you getting enough calories to sustain your activity? Um, are the calories not all coming from junk food, but are you getting some good, you know, high-quality nutrients from the foods that you're eating? Um, are you doing things like stretching? Are you doing some massage or some self massage? Or, you know, you got a Theragun or something like that? Or, you yeah. know, are you doing some rolling? Are you, you know, making an appointment with a massage there? You know, I mean, there's different things that you can do for body work. Are you trying things like the contrast showers, the ice baths, the, the, the alternating hot and cold, you know, are you using some, you know, tiger bomb when you need it? You know, I mean, there's so many things that you can do. Are, are you just taking a de-load? You know, are you doing some light workouts are you going for a a a brisk hike and you know maybe doing a few sets of kettlebell swings and calling it a day you know um all these things you know you need to do and i think if you don't plan those things your body's going to make you take the time off and that's bad because that's when you get sick that's when you and you know you're, you're in a bad mood And when you get into those types of situations, you start to make worse decisions. You get mad. I just need to go train harder next time. And you get into this really bad spiral of, oh, I just need to be tougher. You know, you might go watch a Jocko motivational video and be like, well, Jocko, Jocko doesn't sleep and he's up at 4.30 every day. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, that's not the best way to live. You know, I mean, it's, it's motivational, but it's, it's better to get sleep. You know, it's better to to allow your body to recover. It's better to, you know, not everybody's an adrenaline type like that, you know? And, yep. and I mean, the guy said, you know, he's at hard life, you know, you can tell by looking him, he's a tough son of a bitch, but he's also, you can tell he's, he's putting his body through the ringer and, you know, yeah. Hey, props to him, man. I'm, I'm scared to death of the guy, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's not, that's not going to work for everybody, you know, and, right. and it's great to use that kind of stuff for motivation, but unless you truly are uh, Jocko Willink or David Goggins, you know, use those guys for inspiration, but don't try to model. You know, they've they've developed the mindset to endure what they endure. They're freaking Navy SEALs. You know, Yeah, right. if you're a regular dude who's doing jujitsu three times a week and you've got a family to to support and you got to go to the <laughs> office and you know you got to work and you got to make money. You know,
0: yeah. getting
1: up at 4:30 a.m. and killing yourself every day might not be the best thing to do. You know, you might need to reprioritize some things. Yeah. So I think you know the things, the personal things that you can do to boost recovery and restoration are good, adequate sleep, um, good body work, things like stretching, mobility, uh, massage, you know, body work type things, uh, and then nutrition, making sure you're getting high quality macro and micronutrients through a mostly whole food diet, and you're getting plenty of uh, hydration, you know, and, right. and, and, you know, my, my buddy, Jack Reap, who is, uh, he's always been my strength, you want some great reading, look up the articles he wrote on T Nation years and years back, he's been my strength consigliere, just an awesome, awesome guy. Jack always used to say you're only five good meals and eight hours sleep away from being recovered, no matter where you're at, you know, and it's, you know, point being, slam some good calories, you know, drink a lot of water and get a good night's sleep and see how good you feel the next day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, You know, I just thought of this actually, while you're talking, that's all really good stuff. Uh, Mutual, well. I haven't met him, but I I definitely look up to him and I I plan to train with him eventually. Sean Doherty, he was on the Grappling Central podcast. I do, man.
1: He's such a good guy.
0: He said something that like meant so much for me to hear. And I think it's like valuable for everybody to hear. It's like the way I talk to myself, right. Is like, I don't cut myself any slack. Like, yeah. And, no one I would train in jujitsu or if I was like helping somebody out getting started bending or something I would never treat anyone the way that I like treat myself in my mind right it's like if someone was like no nah, I'm not I'm not really feeling that last rep like and if I saw that they meant it I'd be like no just put it down you know like that's it's, it's all good like don't worry about it but in my mind it's like do it or you're fucking dead <laughs> like, you know yep. like and it's like Why do I hold myself to some other standard that I wouldn't like hold someone to, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and Sean was talking about that as far as like ego and everything. And I think it's just so valuable that like really like changed the way I'm trying to think about that because obviously without jujitsu over the past 10 months or whatever it's been, like, that's been a recurring theme, you know, it's just like push, 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 get broken off or injured somehow recover bombed get back to it push 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 you know like yeah and that's just because i'm not treating myself like i would someone else you know
1: and how far you know how far of a setback is that when you do that too you know i mean are, are you really is it really enhancing your training time or is it better to to you know maybe once or twice you go pretty hard that week but then you back off a little bit maybe you do a little bit more technique or maybe Maybe when you roll, you set like a goal for yourself, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let the guy pass the side control. And I'm going to work on my side control. And that's all I'm going to focus on in this role. And yeah. if he, if he submits me fine, you know, we, you know, I give him the, I give him the tap and we, we, we go again, or yeah. if I escape and I do the thing I want to do, I recover, or I sweep, then we reset and we go again. What's wrong. And, and I mean, you think about it like that too. You're probably, that's probably a better way to train because now you're working on something really specific in Uh, a real life scenario which is what's so valuable about jujitsu is because we do roll all the time but it's not just going in and having a battle royal you know and just turning it into like the world championships yeah you know what i'm saying and and i mean at my age man i can't do that stuff i'm gonna be 46 and it's like my body doesn't recover from that stuff man i see younger guys than me in jujitsu that are worse off, you know, it's like, I want to do this stuff. I, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm not a jujitsu guy. I'm not a a jujitero or whatever, you know, (laughs) but I, I like, I found the martial art that I really enjoy training and I want to train it, you know, I mean, I'd love to train it up until I die. You know, I yeah. mean, there's things that I want to do. I want to be active every day. I, I, yeah. I want to practice uh, Tai Chi every day for the rest of my life. I yeah. want to lift weights every day for the rest of my, you know, I don't want to, you know, so it's not about competing and it's not about, you know, being the bed. That's that ship has long since sailed, but if I can, you know, participate in these things that make me a better me, that's the essence of what martial arts and physical culture is all about. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, you got the sport competitors and you got the fighters and that, that's, but that's not the bulk of the people that participate in these things. And we got to find a way to do it more sensibly for the, and do it for the long term, You yeah. know, I don't want to blow out a shoulder or a knee and be screwed and not be able to train because, you know, I was going balls to the wall, you know? Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, playing the long game that, that keeps coming up. Uh, like I had uh, Carl on um, the other night, and he's been actively bending. You might have actually crossed paths with him because he's from Pittsburgh area, but I think he was oh, yeah. trained with some of the West Side guys off and on. Yeah. Um, he, uh, but he's been actively bending 10, 12 years now, and that you really don't hear that. Like you, there's, there seems to be a sport uh, where guys get in, make some noise and then break themselves off and are gone or they just get over it or whatever. There's not, there's, I haven't spoke to too many people that have been actively doing some people come in, do some stuff, take a long break, then come back or whatever. But yeah. Carl's one of the few guys that have actually just sustained a certain level for over a decade, which is just super impressive. And uh, that is, he impressive. was, yeah. he was talking about it. He's like, man, you gotta just like, you can't be hitting bending bars you never have before every session like it's you gotta just picture doing this like down the future you can't just go so hard that you you just like uh break yourself off you know it's like
1: ed cohn who is uh you know arguably the the greatest power lifter in the history of sport um he had a hell of a career i mean you know you want to talk about longevity i think he was at the top of the game for damn near 30 years like 28 years or something like that and uh just just the greatest I think the, the one guy in the sport that everybody would agree is the greatest, you know, and has just some amazing lifts. And when you look at the time frame and the equipment that he conducted them, I mean, just, just a insane guy. And he always used to say that you've only got so many maximal attempts in your body, you know, wow. in your lifetime, do you want to, do you want to cash them in during your training session? Or do you want to cash them in at the world championships? You know? And I mean, it's like, you got to pick those, you max out in the contest in in training you train you know and yeah. and you don't like even Louis you know West Side's an intense place and i think like like Louis says a lot of stuff that actually doesn't happen there because it is a it, it's a i don't know like i know back in the day if you listen to guys like Dave Tate talk about the old days when Chuck Vogelpool and Dave and all you know Louis were there they were all training yeah. it was like you're going to push the limit every single day and it's a contest every time you're in there and those guys they they're all beat up now you know they got a lot of injuries but louie did have a lot of longevity for for powerlifting, and he always talks about training optimally not not maximally you know and uh making sure that you're acclimating to the training that you're letting you know giving your body time to adapt and stuff like that and he just he always talks about, you know, the plan and training is to just, just break that lift by five pounds, you know, save it, save it for the meat, save it for the meat. Don't always take your dying last breath. And when you listen to people like him and you listen to people like Ed, you know, and, and they talk about not training on the nerve, you know, Louie always made a, di- uh, he always made a a, a, a distinction between the competition max and the training max and the competition max is when, You're amping yourself up, you're hitting the smelling salts, your adrenaline, you know, you're, you're, you're walking out on the platform. It's in a contest. The training max you're supposed to do not in a site in in a state of high excitation. You know, you just want to do it calm, collected, you know, you walk out to the bar, Hey, we're going to get this, you know, but you're not Bouncing your head off the bar and hitting the the ammonia and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I I always like that, you know, differentiating between the training max and the competition max. And you even see it with guys like Jim Wendler, you know, in his five through one program. You know, he talks about the training max. You know, you pick whatever you you figure out what your max is, and then you take 90% of that, and then you base your training weights on that, you know, this idea of start too light. And there's a lot of wisdom. And that simplicity that those guys are, are are talking about, and what they're talking about is the long game, you know. And you see a lot of these new guys that come into powerlifting and stuff like that—they're flashing the pan. They come out of nowhere. They're deadlifting eight hundred pounds, and boom, they're gone, you know. And it's like yeah. because they're training, they're, they're deadlifting five times a week, and you know all this. Thing, you know, I mean, it's like yeah, you're gonna get strong fast, but you're gonna cash your body in fast too, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. No, man, what, something you just said, like the, it's these little tidbits that makes me love doing this show is like the, what you said about, you only have X amount of like max attempts at like only so many miles you can put on the car or whatever. Like that, I hadn't really thought about that. And it's like, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that in mind.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think stuff like that in jujitsu too happens like naturally though, as you get more experienced, um, because you know, when I when I train with my my the the upper belt guys, it, it it's like playing it'd be like playing uh racquetball with somebody who's really good at racquetball. I'm the one running all over the court. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when I roll with somebody who's experienced, they're exerting like almost no effort. But I'm dying trying to work around them and try yeah. to fight them off and try to, you know, whatever. So that that's you know, it it's something that comes with experience and time you know and technique and stuff like that so i think in a sport like jujitsu that stuff kind of naturally happens you know and, and and like when you look at like when i look at my purple belt brown belt black belt you know people that i've, I've trained with they're not they're not crawling off the mats at the end of a session like some of us are sometimes yeah. you know what i'm saying so you know because you, you've got to you can't roll all out you know you've got to conserve. you've got to learn to conserve energy or else you're you're just going to cash yourself in really really fast you know
0: yeah, that that was a realization I had. I might have messaged you about it, but it was just like I was getting frustrated with the lifting and the bending and stuff like it just like I said, taxing my body or whatever. And it was like, why could I I could do jujitsu twice a day, every day and never have an issue, you know, like I, unless I really was doing some crazy hard rounds or whatever. Yeah. I could train every day and it wasn't a thing. And then I was like, oh, it like now it is.
1: But think about back when you were a white belt and a blue yeah. belt, you know, I mean, sure, it was a different story, right?
0: Well, yeah, the thing, the thing that clicked was like, one, I have like over a decade training and two, it's, that's not competition style rolling night, night after night, you know, when I'm lifting and and doing the bending thing, that's uh, one, I'm, I'm inexperienced at both like, and two, I'm pushing myself hard. So it's like, it's taxing me way more. And I was like, oh, that's why, like I could do jujitsu every night, but I can't i can't bend like two nights in a row if i, I just yeah. like it's just too much you know it's just funny how you get acclimated to certain things but yeah so what's a normal training week looking like uh for you these days you said you're training jiu three days a week yeah what's this week's looking schedule? pretty light <laughs> this
1: this this week's looking pretty light thankfully um but typically um on Sundays, uh, I mean, this is with everything coming together in a, in a normal week for me. Yep. On Sundays, I usually drill um, with one of my training partners, this guy, Jim uh, Sangston, who uh, he started out powerlifting with me. And then he actually got into jujitsu a little bit before I did. And uh, he started at at the school that Chris, uh, my teacher, uh, nice. goes to Creighton MMA. Yep. And um, then he switched over to Nucleus when Chris opened up. And uh, so usually we'll drill for about about 45 minutes or so, you know, we'll just pick a few different techniques and we'll just kind of work on them. Um, no rolling, you know, we just kind of, he's, yep. he's been dealing with a knee injury and he's kind of getting back into training. So it's a good opportunity for us to kind of refine some skills and, and work on some stuff like that. Um, and then we'll hit a lift. I usually do some sort of upper body training on Sundays. It's usually centered around the overhead press and accessories and things like that. Nice. Um Monday morning is our uh, our regular no uh, nogi jujitsu class, so we do that at 6.30 in the morning, and then I usually train at 7.30 or 8, depending on whenever I recover, um, and that's usually my squat day, you know, so I'll usually do some sort of squat training. Um, Tuesdays, I'll do some sort of aerobic training, you know, uh, I'll do whether it's like uh, rucking with a weight vest or dragging a sled or uh, I might go do some hill sprints or something like that, you know, but usually it's more aerobic uh, training yep. just to help with recovery and to help build aerobic capacity. Um, Wednesday morning is our gi jujitsu class. Um, so we'll do jujitsu at 6:30. Then again, I'll train somewhere about 7:30 or eight. And that's usually more of a, a bench press centered workout, you know, do another upper body session. Um, Thursday, uh, we usually have an open mat. So usually do a little extra no gi work with whoever wants to show up. Um, and then I'll try to do a little bit of aerobic training that day. Uh, Friday, I usually do the evening gi class. Um, It's also my deadlift day. Um, And then Saturdays are usually totally off for me. Um, In addition to that, uh, I try to do a lot of stretching and mobility whenever I can. Um, I study and I teach Tai Chi. So I teach a couple times a week and I practice uh, Tai Chi and Qigong daily, which is great, um, especially from the restorative standpoint, I think it's a great practice, you know, just the breathing and the stretching associated with, uh, the Qigong is great. It's good for just kind of centering and, and bringing your attention, you know, into the, uh, to the present moment and stuff. So it's a great, it, it's a great solo p- practice that I really like. Um, I do a little bit of yoga periodically and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to get a little bit more into things that promote, uh, longevity and things like that to balance out some of the right. the heavier, more intense training, you know, that I do. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot crammed into a week, but it's really, Uh, uh, I try to make it as minimalistic and simplistic as possible. Yeah, nice.
0: And um, so one thing that I keep asking everybody about, because as I mentioned before we got on the call, was uh, so much body tension is needed with bending. Like you, you, uh, some people talk about leaks, like power leaks and stuff like that. And that's like, as I said, I think training myself to not panic getting trapped underneath people inside control and everything. Yeah. I've really struggled with the ability to create and then maintain body tension. My instinct is 100%. Even if I have a bunch of weight on my back or I'm pulling a bunch of weight off the floor or whatever, my instinct is to stay pretty loose. You know, I think because of the conditioning of jujitsu, knowing that if I'm tense the whole time, I'm going to gas out and just not be able to continue. So with all these guys that are bending big stuff, what's some, what's some cues that you could give as far as how to create better body tension?
1: Um, th- there's, there's things that, and, and I, I, can't take credit for any of this. I mean, it's come from <clears throat> people like, like, I think one of the guys who really brought tension more to the kind of the mainstream was uh, Pavel Tatulin okay. and his book power to the people, um, was one of my favorite books. It wasn't even his kettlebell book. You know, it was just this, this simplistic like deadlift uh, side press program. Um, I, I on, in some aspects, I really like the uber simplistic stuff, but I also like a little bit more, you know, it's like, I want to throw some chin-ups in there and I want to throw some one-arm rows in there and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I like um, his idea of we're going to do fewer things better. You know, we're going to do these few things really, really well. Um, one of the things that he talks about in that book, power to the people are different types of tension principles. He talks about like the process of like hyper irradiation and things like that. Um, some of the things, you know, that he talks about in that book that I think are really valuable are just the increasing tension, like from the grip. Like if you're going to, you know, I I think in the book, he talks about like, you know, if if you pick up a pencil, you know, and you curl it, there's almost no muscle activation. But if you grab your vacuum cleaner and you try to curl it in, you know, just in instantly your forearm tightens up, your bicep tightens up, you're naturally gonna use more muscle tension. So what we wanna do when we lift a weight, whether it's light or heavy, we wanna lift the light weights like they're heavy. And we want to crush the grip, you know, we want to crush the dumbbell grip or the bar. We want to let that tension spread from the forearm into the bicep, the shoulder, the chest as we, you know, so when we do a deadlift, we're making every single thing in the body tight. You know, we're squeezing the glutes, we're bracing the abs, you know, we're, we're taking that breath and pressurizing and building up the intra-abdominal pressure. And it's, it's a skill that needs to be developed just like everything else, you know, but uh, it's simply like, for somebody who doesn't know how to get tense, you know, have somebody punch you in the gut and see what yeah. you do. You naturally brace, you naturally, you know, think about that. If you go to slap yeah. yourself in the stomach, you just naturally tense up. Well, what we want to do is we want to take a breath. You know, we want to close the glottis. We want to squeeze the glutes kind of graphic, but pull up on the sphincter, you know, squeeze the glutes, uh-huh. brace the abs. Really? You know, we want to brace the abs tight. We don't want to suck them in. We don't want to blow them out. We want to push into them, you know, and allow that that tension to increase in the intra abdominal cavity. That's going to help protect the spine and stabilize the torso. It's also a power conduit, you know, as we go to lift something, the power is going to drive through the legs through that tense torso into the implement that we're lifting if we're weak anywhere in there we're kind of like leaking power you know they refer to it as a power leakage Um, so just those things like squeezing the daylights out of whatever it is that you're trying to lift and then that learning to internally pressurize the abdomen you know, squeezing the glutes, you know, locking everything down, down there, bracing the abs and all that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that's going to make you stronger. You know, the more rigid that you can be, the stronger you're going to be because you're not going to have as many power leakages throughout your body. So it's just naturally learning how to get tense. And you've got one of the best ways to do it is you got to treat the light weights like they're heavy. You know, if you're, if you're warming up for a 400 pound deadlift, lift that 135, like it's four, don't neglect it, even though you can walk up to it and probably pick it up one handed while talking to somebody over your shoulder. No, get down, you know, grip the bar, crush the grip, lock the elbows, you know, suck in the air, close the glottis, brace the abs, squeeze the glutes, leverage yourself down, compress the springs, you know, take advantage yeah. of those light sets so that you know how to do it. When you do the heavier lifts, and just like anything else, it's skill acquisition,
0: you know. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's good. That's I like the uh, the idea of lifting the light weights like they're heavy. I think I would like known that, but I re- it's just like so many things. Like I forget to do that, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you see but, it in the gym. You know, people get hurt bending over to pick up a forty-five pound plate, not when they deadlift four hundred five.
0: Right. <laughs> you know. Yep. So we're starting to wrap it up. We're gonna do the rapid fire series of questions. I call the medley. We're gonna alter it a little bit because Scott is more of a lifter than a bender. So that's a
1: stretch, but I appreciate it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's see. What's your favorite lift? Your deadlift guy, right? Deadlift. Yeah, deadlift. Awesome. What's the uh, hardest lift for you?
1: Overhead press. All
0: right. And let's see what's something outside of training bending strength sports entirely that you enjoy doing
1: i don't do it enough but playing drums nice i I was a rock star in a previous life so (laughs) awesome
0: all right what's the one all right yeah what's the one lift that's gotten away so far what's something that you've tried and just haven't been able to achieve bench press what 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 bench the bench i just suck at it you oh know? no uh, so like uh oh <laughs> you,
1: you, you mean my, my elusive lift
0: yeah the, yeah. the one that, that i
1: tried in, uh, 500 pound squat okay nice yep yeah i i just i i 485 but every time i tried 500 it just beat my ass and finally <laughs> i'm was like, i done i'm done yeah <laughs> but the bench press just totally sucks for me so
0: yeah
1: <laughs> my, my, my best bench i think was 315 uh yeah it, it's nothing to write home about so
0: gotcha I, you know i just had uh I think I sent you some of his stuff. Um, James Fuller, Strongman Archaeology. He's yeah. way into the old time lifts. And he was talking a lot about like pullover over impresses. You ever heard yeah. any of that stuff? I, I never
1: got into the bridging and stuff like that, like the uh-huh. weighted bridging and stuff. But that stuff is so cool, man. And it, that's the kind of stuff that you know we talked about earlier. Um, you know, from the physical culture world and stuff like that. Like you see the value for that with wrestlers and grapplers because of the way it, it works the entire spine from top to bottom. And, you know, puts you into a position, you know, that you need to get strong in that you're going to encounter, you know, when you're, uh, when you're wrestling. So,
0: all right, here's one, this one throws everybody, but just don't overthink it. So who's the strongest person, you know, this could be somebody this could be World Strongest Man type stuff. This could be your grandpa. This could be some guy from your town. Doesn't matter.
1: It's a really good question.
0: All right, and if you can't think of one guy, you can just pick one of the strong dudes that you know and just give them a little shine today.
1: Yeah, um, the strongest guy that I know. Um, I know people who are strong for, for, for different, uh, different reasons, you know, um, I've got a friend, Brian, who, uh, I, I think I talked a little bit about him earlier. Uh, he and his, his wife, um, they were training with me back in the day. Uh, she, she was the graphic designer at fight magazine and, and they started training with me. He is just one of these guys that the first time he tried to squat, he's like, "I hey, put 300 on the bar and he squatted it. You know, he's just one of those guys that just, he just gravitates towards strength. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever met. And he's nice. so doesn't toot his own horn. He's barely on social media. You know, he just, he loves it and does it himself. And it's just like, every time I talk to him, he he's progressed by like leaps and bounds and nice. he still feels it necessary to get my, my feedback and, and my critiques and stuff. I'm like, dude, you are so far ahead of me, man. You know, wow. but, uh, it's 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 always so. Imp- He's one of those guys that just shocks you every time you yeah. talk to him. You know? So that's kind of cool. But I mean, there's so many. You know, there's so many people that that persevere with shit. That that yeah. lifting doesn't matter when you look at what people are dealing with in their lives and getting shit done. No you know? so there's there's tons of people that inspire me, and that make me like I got nothing to complain about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. You told me a story. I think it was your kettlebell coach. red nail right he kinked a red nail like first ridiculous
1: (laughs) ridiculous ridiculously strong he uh i watched him clean and jerk uh 132 pound kettlebell like 50 reps uh at the arnold classic (laughs) and brian schoonfeld who's like a legit like strongman competitor like peers of the gillinghams he got like 18 reps you know and federenko's like a buck 75 a buck 80 you know schoonfeld's like 330 you know uh Uh, federenko there's this story about him walking up to uh the gillinghams booth at the arnold one year before anybody really knew he was like a kettlebell lifting world champion and all this stuff and he saw the inch dumbbell and he's like what's this (laughs) you know and they're (laughs) like oh this is the you know this is the inch dumbbell you know if you could put it overhead that's amazing but you know we just want to see people try to deadlift it yeah he goes uh, with let, let me see, you know, he's like put overhead like this and he cleans it and he jerks it and he just misses the lockout and he drops it. And they're just like, Holy crap. Who is it? And he walks away. He's like, he's like, very interesting. You know? And it's just like, (laughs) it's like, he, he looks like a hockey player, you know I mean? He's got a big, big butt and big legs and no upper body. Yeah, And it's just, he's got some of the most amazing strength. You know, when he was down at my gym, he, uh, I had like a 265 pound stone or something like that, like a river stone that we went down and got, and I had it sitting on a tire in my gym and we were getting ready to go to dinner. And he walks by, he's in jeans and a t-shirt, you know? And he's like, he's like, well, why, why stone in here? You know? And I'm like, oh, we, we lift stones. He's like, how, how do you do? You know? And I, I like, I pick it up, I lap it, you know, yeah. I, I hook it, I roll it up to my chest and I pop it on my shoulder. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I set it down and he looks at it a couple times. He sizes it up And it's kind of a longer, you know, stone. And instead of deadlifting it, like I did in my lap, he picks it up kind of lengthwise at the base and the head of it. (laughs) And he's like, would this not be easier? And he like swings it between his legs, like a kettlebell, and he throws it onto his shoulder. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, that would be easier. You know, sure. Yeah, there you go. And that's, you know, that was the same weekend that I showed him the nails and he, he bent a blue and he kinked the red. I mean, it's just like, he, you know, he could one arm deadlift, I think, like, uh, was it 315 or yeah, I mean, the guy's just got sick, sick strength. It's wow. just, and he's so unassuming because, like I said, he, he's built like a hockey player,
0: yeah, wow.
1: But he was also the world champion in kettlebell sport, he held the biathlon record for something like a decade, and, yeah. and that was, you know, he was a 70 kilo lifter, I think, and like, even the super heavyweights couldn't break his total yeah he, he's a bad bad dude yeah he's such a cool guy and he's so Russian man I love just talking to him because his sense of humor is like so dry and non-existent yeah. and nothing impresses the guy it's like it's like hey I got first place he's like well, why did you not win two medals you know it's just yeah. like nothing
0: you could do is ever good enough you know yeah. oh that's awesome all right and last question is best piece of advice you were ever given this could be about lifting or life in general or anything
1: Uh, probably like, as it pertains to probably cause what I am first and foremost is like a businessman, you know, I mean, all this stuff is, it really, I do it because it's my, it's my job, um, that I'm fortunate, you know, even though I, I, I complain about it a lot, you know, uh, I'm really lucky to do what I do. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I, I was given was, uh, you and your accomplishments mean absolute shit when it comes to your business and what you're trying to do. And this is one of the things that I I struggle with when I look at these people who are trying to be Insta-famous or this younger crop of trainers that they're wanting to, you know, they're wanting to become, uh, uh, you know, Insta-famous fitness celebrities and stuff like that. It's like, people don't care about you. What they care about is what can you do for them, you know, and, and I mean, it's like, you you know, you follow me on, on social media and you'll notice particularly on my gym page. I very rarely, um, I usually post about what the people I train are doing, um, or it's some sort of tip or something like that. I try to create value. Um, what I do really is, is nothing, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a nobody and I don't mean, and I'm not trying to sound like you know, I'm not trying to be like self-deprecating or like right. like humble or something like that. but yeah. it really doesn't matter. What matters is, is what I can get other people to do um, because if I can't get people to get stronger than me to exceed the things that the, the meager things that I've accomplished, if I can't help people get stronger, perform better, be the best that they can be,'m I'm, I'm a horrible, Trainer, I'm I'm not I'm not good. So the the best piece of advice I ever got when it came to like marketing yourself and stuff like that is your accomplishments mean nothing. Um, it means something to you. You know, I'm very yeah. thankful for the things that I've done, but it doesn't matter. You know what, what I do doesn't matter. You know, it matters to me. Um, and and maybe some people might draw some inspiration from it, but what matters is. What the people who come to me and trust me with their development, what I'm able to get them to do. So these people that get into the, the, it's very common to get into the fitness industry as a way to try to elevate yourself or try to promote yourself and, and, and whatever, you know, I mean, if you got abs, show them off, maybe I'm just jealous. I don't have a six pack, but, um, it's it's really not about you and and it's it's really about what the people you work with accomplish and so these people that like hold things back from their students or their their athletes you know because they're afraid of somebody being i hate that it's like yeah. we're here to help each other grow and get better it's like that that's like the approach that i take with jiu-jitsu like i'm not i probably never compete i'm not you know it's like i've got two roles and that's to show up and and try to make myself better and try to make my training partners better and yeah. try to reflect really well on Chris's business. You know, and, and, and I look at like, like my, my teacher, Chris is probably one of the most underrated guys in jujitsu. Um, you've probably heard him on Ryan's podcast, but Chris yeah. is not a, uh, he's not a guy that toots his own horn and he's insanely good at jujitsu. He's a hell of a competitor. And when you look at like, you know, he's not a spring chicken. He's, you know, when like in 2017, I think he was ranked number one in the IBJJF. He was killing it in the submission only contests. Uh, you know, he's just, he's just murdering people and he does it from such a, a place of humble professionalism. Like he never talks about himself. He never talks about his accomplishments. Um, he just shows up and he does the work. And he was one of my favorite people to train because one, he really proved, the point that I was trying to make with training these people, um, but the other thing is when I look at the level of dedication and the, the the buy-in that I got from him, the way he trusted me with his training, it's like if I don't if I don't give him that same you know that 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 same courtesy, you know, I'm doing him a dessert, You know, and right. and those are the types of people that I, I really like, and those are the people that I really gravitate to. Those are the people that are out there trying to make the world better for those that are involved in the things that we're involved with you know it's not about what you do as much as it is about the people you touch and how positively you can impact their lives their development you know i get more excited when i see my teammates go and win something or when i see them hit a record lift or i see them crank a new submission or something like that. You know, I, I get it, I get just as excited, if not more excited than when I, I do that for myself, you know? I mean, yeah. that's very rewarding. And I think that's what somebody who's a true coach or a true teacher, um, they, they're they like that, you know? It's not about them as the teacher, it's about what they can get their students, their clients and their athletes to accomplish, you yeah. know? So ultimately, you know, just a uh, uh, that's a long way of saying um, it's not about you, you know, it's about what you can do for people. And, you know, we're in this age where we got access to all this great information. So let's learn and let's pass on and let's help each other and let's, you know, support each other and let's, you know, I mean, that that's what building a community is, you know, and there's no reason to be selfish. There's no reason to be, you know, to withhold that, you know, it's, it's like, if I make you better, you're going to make me better, you know, and and that's how we both get better. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good answer for sure. All right. In closing, uh, who's someone you'd like to see me have on the show?
1: Oh man. Um I I, you know, it's an impossibility. I, I would say Steve Jack. Uh, but uh, you know, the guys <laughs> passed. Fortunately, and this guy passed away too, but uh Eric Fiorello had him on the uh, uh motivation and muscle podcast back in the day. But Eric died tragically okay. uh this past year as well. Um yeah. like I said, and if you can go back, anything you can find Steve Jack, absorb it. Um, but I just I I uh I don't, you haven't had John Brookfield on, have you?
0: No, I actually sent him an email. He got back to me. I need to follow up with that. I I'd le- I'd John love John would be a John. great guest.
1: I, I, I love John. He's, he's the godfather, man. He's the man when it comes to grip strength, when it comes, yep. to, comes to this kind of stuff. And he is so, so underrated um, because he doesn't pat himself on the back and he doesn't get the accolades that he deserves. So I think yeah. the more opportunity that guy gets to, to tell his story and share his knowledge is very, very important.
0: I've heard some really cool stories about him. When Adam Glass was on, he told a story about like uh, he was driving down the road and he like held the steering wheel with his knees and bent a 60D behind his head, like driving down the road or something.
1: <laughs> so I, I got a fun story about John in, uh at that Wake Forest Strength Coaches Clinic where uh, he de- debuted the battling rope system nice. um, the morning of the clinic. Cause we, we would always get up there the night before go out to have dinner, you know, have a few beers and stuff like that. Then go to the clinic all day, then, then drive to come back. It's about a five hour trip from Atlanta. So my buddy and I, that I went up there with, we were, uh, uh, we went to IHOP the morning before the, uh, before the workshop and John Brookfield's sitting there having breakfast. And I'm like, no way. You know, yeah. so I go walking over is my first time seeing him in print and dude, he's, he's, his hands are one of the most impressive things you'll ever see. They're, they're, they're literally like mitts, you know? So I walk up to him. I'm like, John, I'm looking really forward to hearing your presentation today. And I put out my hand, you know, and he reaches up to shake my hand and I give him a little squeeze, you know, and he just smiled like, man, you're not the first, you won't be the last here. Let me break your hand so I can finish my pancakes. And man, he just, he just clamped down on my hand and it was like, holy crap, you know, just, just the sheer power of a guy who's not even trying to do it. You know, who's mid bite on a pancake, you know, and he just, he just decimates your hand. I mean, the guy is just, he's such a powerful guy and he's, He's a friendly, humble, just, just informative guy with some great stories and just just a really, really cool guy.
0: Cool, yeah, I, I, I want to get that one for sure. Hopefully that works out. All right, tips and advice for beginning lifters.
1: Um, focus on technique. Um, don't be in a rush to max out. Spend some time letting your tissues adapt. Um, you know, do the rep work you know, build some muscle, you know, I, Dave Tate always used to say, you can't flex bone. Uh, so if, if you don't have muscle, build some muscle first, you know, um, is, uncool as bodybuilding is, you know, we need to have some muscle. Um, it's your body's armor, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's what fires to, to do these lifts. Um, so there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit bigger as we're trying to get stronger. Um, then when it tom- comes time to, to ramp up the weights, save a little bit, you know, never, never go to a true you know like, like use that idea of the training max and the competition max you know because if you're just starting out and say you, you can bench 135 for a set of 10 well then you start with 135 for a set of five and then you add five or ten pounds for a set of five you add five well what you're doing there is you're allowing your tissues to develop you're allowing things to to build in your body whereas if you just try to go right to i don't know if you do 135 for 10 maybe you can do 185 or 195 for one if you go right to that one rep max your joints aren't going to be ready for it you know you let your give your tissues time to adapt take it slow um this is something that that we want to do for life you know so five pounds a month is 60 pounds at the end of the year you know take your time let your body adapt don't be in a rush, you know, enjoy the process and play the long game. You know, this isn't a 12 week, part, this is for life, you know?
0: Yeah, nice. You know what? Actually, I just thought of this just because we've been talking a lot of jujitsu. What, uh, you know who Daniel O'Brien is? Uh, Ryan's had him a bunch on the podcast. Uh, did sound familiar? Yeah. But long haired yeah. dude from like Tennessee or something like that. Yeah. Uh, had, does a lot of really weird jujitsu, but well, he was on. Ryan's show. He talked about he felt like he was muscling things too much, and he took a year. I think he said at Brown Belt he decided he wasn't going to tap anyone for a year. He just went and trained and got submitted. Like it, it had to be legit, right? So he wouldn't just like roll over and let someone like tap him for nothing. But if someone, he would get to a position. He wouldn't muscle anything, and then he just he wasn't worried about tapping anyone for an entire year. And I just thought that was like such a cool training and like, and I plays into the idea of playing the long game, you know? And like, I did that for like a couple months in my own training, man. And it's just like the ability to like get out of stuff and not muscle stuff. And just like taking that expectation of like the tap out of it did so much for my own training. Like I haven't recommended that in a while to anyone, but Anyone should like, if you're listening to this and you're training jujitsu, just take the next month off from worrying about tapping anybody, like just, just train, try not to muscle anything, try to have perfect form. Don't just let anybody tap you, but just like, you know, work into a position and when they got it, you got it. Don't worry about tapping anybody. It was, I did so much for my jujitsu.
1: That's a, you know, that's a great point. And I mean, I think it's like, you know, something that you struggle with when you're starting something like jujitsu is, that competitive aspect, you yeah. know, either you're getting tapped or you're trying to tap, and it's like, no, you're there training, and yep. and you know, it 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 finally, like, I had some dark days when I first started out, and you're like, am I ever going to get this? <laughs> um, you know, where, where you're the new guy in the block, and you, yep. yeah, I, I got a great training partner, this girl Ruth, she's a she's a brown belt now, but she's she was a purple belt when I started, you know, she's 130 pound girl whooping my ass, you know, I mean, it's just like yeah. it's like it's it's humbling, you know, we all go through that, but there's a point where I, I had one really bad class where I was like, I don't know if this is for me. And, and yeah. I think, you know, Chris kind of like sensed it. And I think he came over and he asked me, he's like, how, how are you feeling? I'm like, oh, you know, pretty good. you know, recovering. He's like, no, about jujitsu, uh-huh. you know? And I'm like, you know, there's some days where you get the technique and you feel like, yeah, you're moving really well. Then there's some days you feel like you've never, you're like a toddler trying to walk. Yeah. He goes, that's jujitsu, man, you know? And yeah. then I I got this thing. It's like, I, I, I just took, the, and, and I don't mean in a nonchalant way, but I took this attitude where it was like, fuck it. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, you know, and don't, you know, the taps don't mean anything, you know, it's just training, you know? And when I kind of let go of that, my training got so much better, you know? And, and now it's like, I mean, you know, I get tapped by everybody. I get tapped by white belts. I get tapped by black belts and, you know, everybody yeah. taps me. I get tapped by girls and I get to, ta- it, it's not a yeah. big deal because we're all tra- training trying to get better. And, you know, I just kind of took this approach there. You know, if somebody tapped me, they're showing me a weakness in what I'm doing, or they're showing, they're showing me something I'm missing. You know, I should be happy about that. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean anything, you know, nobody's doing backflips and like rubbing your, you know, it's just, right, everybody's right. tapped you know, and everybody's gonna, gonna get tapped, you know I mean? It's just how it is, you know? And I think when you can let go of that, but you, you see a lot of people who have this just competitive thing. It's like, I'm going into training to win, you know, and I'm going, I'm going to crush that freaking you know, spaz white belt. And I'm going to show him what's up. It's (laughs) like, dude, we're all the spaz white belt, you know, we yep. all got to go through those growing pains, you know, why, why don't you try to help that person? You know, why don't you take your experience and, and try to make them not feel so bad when they get tapped and say, Hey, look, this is part of the growth and stuff. So I, I really like that concept. Like forget about the tap, man, work on position, work yeah. on technique, work. That's really cool.
0: And you can't tell them either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's you got to keep it to yourself. That's the hard part yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that, that's the thing. It's like that ultimately, that's all that matters. You know, people's perceptions of things are their perception and and the person that thinks they're going in there and winning, you know, I mean, if they got to go and be like, Hey, I tapped Scott, you know, to their family or whatever, then good, man. You know, hopefully that'll give you a good night. You know, if that's what you got to do to, to get through the night. But I I also think that people like that, they don't last too long in something like jujitsu because jujitsu, it's the truth, man. You know, it exposes you the minute you get on the mat. That's why, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't want stripes. I don't care about ranks. I'm not doing it for any of that crap. Yeah. I'm just trying to get better. And you know, when you're getting better, when you roll,
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Cause there, there was a time, uh, I remember like, cause I was doing only jujitsu for so long. I started to dabble a little bit with lifting like the year prior to like when, when we uh, got in contact, but, uh, Uh, just in the heavy jiu-jitsu days I was talking to somebody about the gym and I was like oh it must be nice to go to the gym and like I don't think anybody ever goes home from the gym being like I fucking suck like you know and now here I am like missing lifts and being like, I fucking suck. Missing missing bends, you know, I'm eating my words a hundred percent. Like it's the same thing. The strength stuff exposes you just the same, man.
1: (laughs) It does. It's, 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 that's what, I think that's why people like lifting weights though. I mean, you either, you know, it's that old cliche, you know, Henry Rollins quote from his details article from 93 or whatever, you know, 200 pounds is 200 pounds. You know, the, the idea that you either lift it or you don't, you know, it's, it's the great, you know, it's the great equalizer. It's the, you know, it's the great, the great teacher or whatever. And it's true, man. You know, I mean, there's a lot of lessons, just like there's a lot of philosophy in jujitsu mats. There's a lot of philosophy in that pile of iron, you know, in the gym. Yep.
0: Well, especially as personally as a, you know, as you become an adult, right. And you realize the world is far from black and white, right. And wrong. Everything is in the gray area. Like it's things that are definitive are very attractive you know the fact of like harsh consequences of something you can just look at and be like yes or no without question you know even though like as we said at the top of the show it can be painful like the the all the glory and all the all the heartbreak is on you you know but like that's also really nice in a world that's pretty complicated and getting more complicated (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i'll I'll tell you i mean if you ever want to get a little bit away from the grip stuff and and actually he's uh he's got a book i think he's got the book on the mighty adam but but sean would be an interesting guy Doherty, you know to get on the show oh yeah i mean because if you especially if you want to get a little bit more into philosophy and and you know sean sean's just such a cool uh just such a cool guy man he's a really he's got, he's, he's very intellectual. And like, like when I, when I was up in Ohio this past summer and, you know, it was kind of funny how we met. I, uh, when I was doing the Westside Barbell special strengths coach cert the, the grappling portion of it, the training for grapplers, it was John Saylor's book and John is, okay. uh, he was national team judo coach, shingy Jiu Jitsu He was, he was Sean's coach for a lot of years. Right, so right. I recognize Sean from John's books and from, you know, from West Side and stuff like that. So I remember, uh, John is not on John's another guy. He's so underrated. You know, he needs to be more out there. He's a brilliant guy. His uh, his lecture modules were some of the best content I've ever listened to. And uh, when I bought his book, I had posted about it on Instagram. And I'm like, man, if you want a book on training grapplers, this, you know, John Saylor's book is the shit, you know. And I i, I think I hashtag tai Jiu Jitsu or something. And then I get this ding. It's like, oh, Sean you like, I'm like, no way, you know. So I look and I'm like, oh, wow, that's Sean, you know. So, so I, I sent him a friend request and he took it and I, I sent him a message. I'm like, dude, man, I, I said, thanks. I appreciate it. I said, uh, you know, this is freaking crazy. You know, I'm kind of a fan, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we started talking and he's just like you and me. He's into, we're into the same music. He's into skateboarding. You know, he still goes yeah. skateboarding with his son at the ski. He was telling me about the skate parks up in Ohio to go to and oh, stuff. Awesome. So we kind of built this friendship online. And then, you know, when I was going up to Ohio to visit my buddy, I had just mentioned i said I'm kind of going to be in your area he goes, dude, let's train, man. You know, he's like, come on down to, you know, he, he invited me to his house. He pulled the mats up to his garage. I got all oh, this one-on-one time with him. You know, we went to, had some good Mexican food afterwards. And it's just like, he's one of the most genuine guys. And he's like, he's a real martial artist too, you yeah. know? And that's what I liked about uh, Ryan's podcast. You know, he talked about the ethical side of the arts, which is something that you tend to lose now yep. that MMA has kind of come front and center, which is awesome. Definitely, Because now, you know, you could be a kid and join an MMA gym and learn some real practical fighting skills that will, you know, teach you self-defense and save your yep. butt. But I also don't like how you also lose some of the good things that came along with the traditional martial arts. And even on some level, jujitsu, uh, even though jujitsu tends to be a little bit more relaxed for a, a pretty traditional art, but still yes. there's things that to traditional arts teach you on the ethical side that get glossed over with today's yeah. MMA and stuff like that. And that's what I like about Sean. I mean, he's a real, he's a modern day warrior, man. He's like a real Musashi, you know, kind of guy, yeah. you know, and uh, he's just such a cool dude. And I think from a philosophical standpoint, he's a really interesting guy to, guy to chat with. He'd, he'd, you know, and, and I, I know you're a fan of his work and stuff, man. Oh, he'd yeah. it'd probably be fun for you just to talk with him, man.
0: Yeah. I was really excited when I saw you guys training together because right before we got shut down i was really studying his stuff i can't remember exactly why i discovered him but it was through researching leg locks and stuff like that and i just i discovered his stuff and i just could tell he was like a super cool guy and it was just i was like oh i was got so psyched when i saw you guys training together
1: no no ego man and, and it was cool like you know with the leg locks and stuff he talked about how, you know, he was talking about how John Saylor, when he moved to Japan and trained judo over there, you know, they were doing leg locks and all this stuff back yeah. then, you know, I mean, it's so, yeah. it's so quote unquote new for jujitsu because of the way, you know, Danaher has systematized things yeah. and the spin that he's put on it, but that stuff's been around forever, you know, and he's oh, like, yeah. you know, these concepts, you know, that they they were there in judo and and, and that's what I like. He's not, He's not married to one thing, you know, even when we were training, he's like, I'm not going to give you techniques, I'm going to give you concepts, you know, and it's just it really makes you look at jujitsu a little bit differently. And one of my problems being so new to the art is, you know, you think of things in a three or a four or a five step process, you know. Okay, I'm going to control the the legs. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the knee cut. I'm gonna block the under. You know, you're going yeah. through the step by step thing, yeah. and, and he's like, just think of these concepts. You know, think of pinning the hip. Think of closing space. Think of creating space. Think of creating an angle. You know, and Chris is a lot like that too. You yeah. know, and and it's like take these concepts and and make them work. You know, don't just be you know have a system to originally learn the stuff, but don't be married to something. You know, right. make the concept apply to a multi-directional kind of capacity, you know? And it's, yes. it's, it's really cool when you talk to people like that, who, and, and the guy like, no ego, man, you know, he's, he, no stripes on his black belt and he's been a black belt forever. Yeah. You know, the guy, you know, he's like, I don't know, some guy came up to me one, I think Carlos Catania was the guy that promoted him to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He, yeah. He's like, I trained enough up there. He looked at me, he goes, no, you're a black belt. You know, or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, that's so cool, man. Yeah. You know, especially yeah. when people are like, fighting for that piece of tape on their belt you know right, and it's like right. you know it's and i'm, I'm not you know wh- whatever people's reasons and stuff like that you know sure. whatever i you know but whatever keeps you motivated yeah but you know I, I always like you know when when we talk about ranks and stuff like that i'm a big fan of musashi and I, i've read everything musashi never talked about ranks he only talked about the perfect cut striving yeah. for the perfect cut yeah. the technique the training you know and that's yep. what the martial arts is it's training it's not what you wear yeah. around your waist and you know so that and, and sean definitely like embodies that philosophy which is really cool yeah good, good dude
0: good dude. absolutely yeah um musashi he, his quote is uh once you understand the way you see it in all things is that him or is that yeah, okay because yeah. that's something i've been thinking about so much just like that i was fortunate enough to like pivot all my energy into something else and like feel like I can be successful at that. I feel like that was just, I I learned the way through jujitsu, you know, like and just understanding what it takes to be dedicated to something and like literally going to bed, dreaming about it, you know, and then just like, like due to circumstance in 2020, like pivoting that over to something and still getting joy out of, you know, something else that you're newer at, but still like apply the same principles, you know? Yeah. All right, Scott. So Where can people find you social media?
1: Um, yeah, social media. I'm not, I'm not too active on I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram mostly, and and actually LinkedIn. I do a little bit on LinkedIn, but, um, Instagram is probably the busiest. I've got a, uh, uh a page for my gym and just my kind of my training. That's, uh, at EPTS ATL, my business is extreme performance training system. So EPTS is the abbreviation that we use. Um, EPTS ATL is my one Instagram. Then my personal Instagram, if you want to see pictures of my dog and vegan donuts on occasion is, um, <laughs> S Shetler 613. That's a little bit more of my personal one. Um, I'm on Facebook. If you just look up Scott Shetler, but I'm not super active. I'm really kind of down on social media. It's just kind of, kind of more an annoyance. I try to use it to promote my business and the things that I'm doing and stuff. And, uh, but you know, other than that's where you can find me, my website is ePtsgym.com. And that's where people can go. If they're interested, I've I've self-published a few books and and I actually co-authored a book with uh, stick from dead prez, um, about his, uh, process gaining 20 pounds of muscle on a plant-based diet. Um, so that's a really cool book called eat plants, lift iron. And he was a really cool dude, man. You, you want to talk about a, an awesome, awesome guy. That whole experience was awesome. And to yeah. this day, it's awesome to call him a good friend of mine. That's um, awesome. but that, that was, a, that was a fun project. So I've done some pretty cool things, you know, outside of, uh, uh, the strength stuff and and all that. But, you know, I mean, it's I've got my brick and mortar business down here in Atlanta. I like to be in the gym. I love working with people. I am available for, for some remote coaching and programming if people want always more, I, I love working with uh, jujitsu people on their strength and conditioning programs. Um, so I do a lot of work online with people, which is how you kind of, you and I kind of hooked up or whatever, but I'm yeah. always happy to do some remote programming, uh, ongoing coaching or program design, you know, whatever works for people. And then, like I said, my brick and mortar is down here in the North Atlanta area. We're actually in a, uh, a town called Norcross. Uh, it's actually the home of uh, Nucleus Jiu-Jitsu as well. Chris and I share a facility. Um, so if anybody's ever traveling through the Atlanta, I know things are kind of tight, you know, right now with covid and, and all that stuff but if anybody's ever traveling through atlanta they're looking for a place to train um we're a really small private training center so there's not you know it's it's We're easy to to keep the place clean. We've been pretty lucky with no real, you know, outbreaks of COVID out of our facility. Um, We've had a pretty good handle on it. Uh, We do a good job at keeping it uh, pretty tidy, and we're still able to do the jujitsu and the the strength training and stuff like that. So, if anybody's ever coming through the Atlanta area, um, you're more than welcome to stop in and and lift some weights or just hang out or come do some come do some jujitsu and stuff. We're always we always love seeing people come through the door. So,
0: awesome. All right, Scott, that's it, man. I want to thank you so much like yeah, i thank said you, man. reaching out to you was like something special for 2020 because it really like sparked a lot of things and like you know i've been down in my basement every day probably since doing yeah. some type of lifting or bending or grip work or whatever and well dude uh, your,
1: your your progress on the the lifts like how fast you not only knocked out your goals but exceeded your strength goals that you set was phenomenal and to see everything that you've pivoted that into, you know, with, with diving into the grip and the bending, uh, with the podcast that you've put together with the caliber of people that you've gotten on your show. I mean, everything you've done has been pretty awesome in such a short period of time. So congrats on all that, man. It's really cool.
0: Thank you, man. And, uh, I really appreciate that. And I certainly have some more goals to go, especially my back's feeling good again. we got to get some yeah, yeah, yeah. goals going. <laughs> nice. All right. That's it, man. I thank you so much and have a great thank rest you, of your night.
1: Thanks, man. You too. Take care.
0: All right.